in that scenario, there's a wisdom that must be rejected, which is human wisdom. But there is a wisdom that we are, of course, encouraged to pursue, and that is a wisdom uh, that comes from God himself. We, we see this all over the Bible. Proverbs uh, tells us that wisdom is better than gold. And, of course, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Ask God, and he'll give it to you. So we are told to pursue uh, that wisdom. Now, this morning... We've got a passage, instead of going through it first, verse by verse, I'm going to ask four questions and try to answer those four questions. I thought that would be an easier way to get through the passage. The first one is this, who cannot receive the wisdom of God? Okay, what, what human beings are cut off from the wisdom of God? So let's read verses 6 through 8, if you've got your Bibles or you can follow it on the screen. Paul is writing and he says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of of glory. Now, twice in this passage, Paul refers to the rulers of the age. And in fact, he specifically refers to the rulers that killed Jesus. Okay, In fact, we know before Paul came to Corinth, he stopped in Athens. And in Athens, he went up on uh, the Areopagus or up on Mars Hill, and he disputed with the uh, philosophers there. And they made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They scorned him. He doesn't mention them. He goes right to the rulers that killed Jesus. Now, I always want to ask questions when I read things like this. Well, why did he do that? Why does he... There's a lot of people in the world that don't have the wisdom of God. Why does he mention the rulers that killed Jesus? Well, I think there's a really good reason he does that. It it seems to me that we naturally view our rulers as probably the most wisest or at least the most intelligent among us, don't we? That doesn't mean it's necessarily true. But the fact is, when we look at people in authority, they could be presidents or kings or or senators or uh, professors or teachers or whatever the case may be, we tend to look at those people and think they have the most wisdom. They're kind of, when it comes to human beings, they're the wisest of the wise or the smartest of the smart. Yet here are these rulers who are supposed to be the best of the best when it comes to human beings, and they're putting Jesus to death. So what Paul wants us to see here is they are the most vivid example of the fact that you can measure a person's true wisdom. You can really tell whether a person is really wise by one thing, and that is whether they recognize Jesus as the Lord of glory. You see, they can be as wise as as the wisest person when it comes to human wisdom, but if they don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ come into the world to save our sins... Paul said their wisdom is useless. So what he's doing there is he's taking the best of the best, the rulers of the people, and he's saying they had no wisdom at all because if they had, they wouldn't have crucified. They wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Now, he makes another statement. He said they couldn't grasp the wisdom of God. They couldn't understand the wisdom of God. Why couldn't they grasp it, these rulers? What is it about rulers that, that keep them from grasping the wisdom of God? There's a great story in, uh, in, in Mark 11, 27-33. Jesus and his disciples have been out in the country and they've been going town to town and they, they come back into 
Jerusalem and they go into the temple and they're walking around. By the way, the temple complex was about 10 acres. So this piece of property that we're on here is 10 acres. So the temple itself was about the size of this piece of property. It had a big courtyard. It had uh, the porticos of Solomon over on one side. So it had a lot of areas you could, you could walk through. So they're walking through the temple. They're not teaching or anything. And the rulers of the people, the elders, the scribes, the, uh, the Pharisees, they come up to them and they begin to ask Jesus, who, who, who's allowing you to do these things? What authority gives you, what authority do you have to do the things you do and to say the things that you say? And of course, Jesus, one of the things I love about the Gospels, Jesus never answers people the way you think he would. He always is, is two steps ahead of them. So he says to them, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, uh, I'll ask you a question. And if you answer me, I'll tell you anything that you want to, to know. And they said, okay. So he says to them, the baptism of John, was it from God? Or was it from, was it from men? And they kind of go off to one side and they begin to reason with one another and discuss it. And they said, well, you know, if we say it was from heaven, then Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it was from man, then the people will get mad with us because they all think he's a prophet from God. So they can't make up their mind which to say, so they just pick none of the above. And they go over to Jesus and they said, we don't know. We can't answer you. And Jesus says to them that I'm not going to say anything to you. That I, my mouth is shut. I'm not going to give you any answers that you're looking for. You see, that's an amazing story because one of the characteristics of those rulers was they had an utter indifference to the truth because of a desire to maintain their status and their image. Isn't that crazy? You're sitting there with the Son of God standing across from you, the very epitome of truth, and the fact is you're more interested that people think you're wise than you are in really being wise. And see, it's true for us today. If you're more interested in your status, if you're more interested in what think people think of you than in really knowing the truth, the Bible says you'll be cut off from the wisdom of God. He'll actually cut you off. Uh, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, all right, if that's the way your heart is, then I'm not going to tell you any of these things. For rulers and, and people in authority... That's one of, one of the things when you move up in the world and people are looking at you, you kind of fall in love with that status. You fall in love with that, man, people look up to me. People think a lot about me. And it's really hard to set that aside and go after, go after uh, real truth. So what, it's not necessarily being powerful or being famous that sets you apart or, or cuts you off from the wisdom of God. It's hungering for power. It's hungering for acclaim. It's hungering for status that cuts you off from God. In fact, not only will you be cut off from it, the Bible says that God the Father will go out of His way to hide it from you. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. If you think you're wise and you think you got all this understanding, it says God will go out of His way to hide true wisdom from you and reveal it to those that come to him like, um, like little children. So that's one thing that Paul talks about here, is who cannot receive the wisdom of God. Now, let's get to the good stuff. Who can? Now, this is the part that surprised me when I studied this lesson this week. Who can receive the wisdom of God? All right, if you got your thinking cap with you, I need you to put it on right now and focus in, because we're going to go somewhere good with this. 
I want to read verse 6 first in the King James Version. Um, in the King James Version, it says this. If you read King James, it'll say this. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Now, that is a very bad translation for today. That might have been fine in 1600s in the old King's English, but in today's English, the word perfect means flawless and sinless. Does it not? Now, Paul could not mean that, could he? Because if he did, he wouldn't have anybody to talk to. If he, if he says among the mature, we impart the wisdom of God, I mean among the perfect, then nobody's getting the wisdom of God because nobody's perfect. So that's not a good translation. The other translations do a much better job. The English Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, the New American Standard Bible, they all render the Greek word teleos as mature or full-grown. That is a much better um, uh, rendering or translation of the word. So Paul says, among the mature ones, we impart the wisdom of God, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, I like to ask questions. When I start reading this, if I see Paul say something, I'll immediately say, well, well, who are these people? Who are mature people that can receive the wisdom of God? Let's go back. If you've got your Bibles there, or you can read it with me, let's read the rest of those verses, verses 9 through 13. It said this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. By the way, he's quoting Isaiah 64, 4. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And look at verse 13. He says, We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what, what Paul, when I ask the question, who are the mature ones, I get one more clue in verse 13. Paul said this, and we, he's talking about the apostles like him, we impart this, talking about the hidden wisdom of God, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. In other words, Paul says we are imparting spiritual truths to who? to those who are spiritual. So the first clue we see that in Paul's mind, mature people are spiritual people. Everybody with me? Okay, if you're taking notes, write that down. Mature people are spiritual people. Now we're going somewhere with this that's really important, so I want to back that up first, that in Paul's mind, mature people are spiritual people. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.1. Paul says this, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, is it obvious that the opposite of a baby is what? A mature person. Is it not? The opposite of an infant is someone who is mature. But look at that verse. In that verse, the opposite of an infant is a what? A spiritual person. So see, now we know that in Paul's mind, being mature and being a spiritual person are one in, the, one in the same. So, we're kind of walking down a little road here. I asked the question, who can receive the wisdom of God? Now we know that it's the spiritual, mature people. Okay? Everybody with me so far? All right, let's move on. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Who are these people? 
at River of Life, who are, we just forget for a second about the, the world out there, who are the spiritual, mature people in River of Life? And more importantly, what is it about them that enables them to embrace and understand godly wisdom? Now, I got a little picture of a baby up there to remind me of something. I know some people, I've been around a long time, and I know some people who got saved 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and those people, when they got saved, they didn't know nothing. When it came to the things of God, they were as dumb as a post, right? But yet, I look at these people 10 years later, 15 years later, and they're some of the wisest people I know. At the same time, I know people that got saved 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and I look at them now, and they ain't gone nowhere. When it comes to godly wisdom, they're the same people they were 20 years ago. It's like they never got... Does anybody know people like that? They're hanging around church. They're still here, but they're not growing. They're, they're not, they haven't gone anywhere. They still make, they make terrible decisions just like they did when they first got saved. What makes the difference? Why does one person get saved and go on in 10 years to become one of the wisest people you know? Somebody else on the same day got saved and 10 years pass and they're, they're not wise at all. What makes the difference between them? This is what surprised me this week and we're going to talk about this. Now, if I, ask, if I went around and asked most people to describe a spiritual person, just give me some descriptions of a spiritual person, you might hear things like this. Well, a spiritual person is someone who's very religious. A spiritual person is somebody who reads the Bible regularly. A spiritual person is someone who prays a lot, someone who attends church regularly. You, you might hear some descriptions of spiritual people like that. But when Paul speaks of spiritual people... Now remember, a spiritual person is also a what? A mature person. Keep that in the back of your mind. When Paul speaks of spiritual people, he doesn't think in those terms at all. By the, by the way, Paul would encourage you to go to church. Paul would encourage you to read your Bible. Paul would encourage you to pray a lot. But when he talks about a spiritual person, that's not what he's talking about. Paul is talking about a person who is led and taught by the Spirit of God. That's what he means by a spiritual person. We see this in today's verses 10 through 13. Paul says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So in his mind, a spiritual person is someone who has the Spirit of God and is taught by the Spirit of God. Everybody with me? Now, here's the problem, though. Don't we know that all Christians have the Spirit of God? Yes or no? Yes. Romans 8 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If, a Christ, if you are a Christian, the Bible says you have to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. There's no such a thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit of God. So we know that all Christians have the Spirit of God. We also know that all Christians are taught by the Spirit of God. In fact, you cannot get saved without being taught by the Spirit of God. We know this from Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Jesus comes to the disciples one day and He says, Who do men say that I am? 
And the disciples said, well, some of them say you're Elijah, uh, some of them say you're John the Baptist, some of them say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But who did? God the Father. See, if you know, if you're here today and you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you, you were taught by God. You were taught that by the... You don't come to that in your own power. You don't come to that in your own mind. You have to be taught by God just to be saved. So we know, in a sense, that all Christians are indwelt by the Spirit. All Christians are, in some sense, taught by the Spirit. So here's my question. Is every Christian mature? Is every Christian spiritual? Is, remember, Paul said, we impart to those who are mature the secret and hidden wisdom of God. So my question is, are all Christians mature and spiritual? Anybody? Now they're not even, it's not even, even close. Now I want you to understand this. I'm going to show you a few passages. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3.1. Paul says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people or mature people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. You see, that verse right there clearly tells us that there are Christians who are not mature. There are Christians who are not spiritual people. Everybody see that? They are, Paul describes them as people of the flesh or, or babes or infants in Christ. Look at Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is called in transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul said if someone in the church is caught in sin, let's say they're caught in adultery, and they come to the body and they say, we're sorry, we made a mistake, we repent of that sin then Paul says we are to restore them back just like it never happened. But Paul doesn't just look out and just say, just grab anybody to do that. He says, those of you who are what? Mature, spiritual, do it in a spirit. We'll actually come back to that and show you in a second why Paul actually says that. So only spiritual, mature Christians should ever participate in acts of restoration. How about this one? This is the best one. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 1. Listen to this. The writer of Hebrews says, There is so much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. You have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Paul is saying, uh, the writer of Hebrews says here, you're Christians, you're believers. You've been believers for two years, five years, ten years. And by this point, you should be able to teach other people, but you can't. You're like a, a, an infant that needs milk and not solid food. I've got a granddaughter, and we went to Zaxby's last night and bought her some of them nibblers, and she's knocking that chicken back. She's a year old. See, Paul says, you can't even eat, do that. You're like a little tiny baby that still needs milk. You're not even ready for solid food. And you've been believers for a long time. Everybody see that? These are Christians. Yes, they're Christians, but they're not even getting off the starting line. Let's read on. He says this, For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know to do how to do what is right. Solid food is for who? 
For the mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So watch what he says. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. See, these people have to be constantly taught about repentance and faith in God. See, that's something you teach to unbelievers, folks. Repentance and faith in God is something you preach to unbelievers. These people are going around the same mountain. Same, have to be taught the same thing over and over and over. and They just never move on. I want to know why. What, what is it about these Christians that they just can't get off the starting line? They're like little babies that are on milk. What, and, and other people just go on to just grow in, in Christ. Um, so what we've seen here so far is that those people, those Christians, those believers who are like little babies they cannot receive the wisdom of God. Why? Because they're not mature. They're not spiritual. Are they Christians? Yes, Paul says they are, but they're like babies and they're not ready for solid food. Now, we haven't gotten quite yet to where I want to get to, but we're getting really close. And here's the question that I want to ask. What is it about a Christian that enables them to move beyond the basics, to move beyond the teachings about faith and repentance and go on to bigger and better things, and be imparted to receive the wisdom of the secret and hidden, hidden wisdom of God. I put a couple of things down there. <coughs> Excuse me. Is it, are they smarter? Is it because one Christian is smarter? I was going through my email this week, and I found an email from a lady about three years ago that sent me a lot of questions in an email that she wanted some answers to. And one of the things she said in the email was she said, you know, I go into Sunday school and I sit in a Bible study or I sit in a life group, and she said, I feel like an idiot. Um, she said, I don't understand the terms that they're using. Uh, she said, and she went on to actually say, maybe I'm just not smart enough to grasp this. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to figure all this out. Is that what it is? Two Christians saved on the same, saved on the same day, ten years go by, one of them is the, one of the most wisest people you know. Is it because they're smarter than this other person? poor person? What about accountability? Could it be that this one Christian just so happened to get an accountability group with where other men and women would hold them accountable to read their Bible and to come to church and to pray, and the other person, for whatever reason, just got left on their own? Is it intelligence? Is it accountability? Is it, is it something else like that? The answer to that is no. This is what surprised me this week. If you would have asked me, well, what makes one Christian grow? I'd have said, well, they need to study their Bible. They need to be accountable. They need to be... Everybody with me? If you'll do those things, you'll grow. That wasn't it at all. In fact, what I found out, literally, I was like, why haven't I seen that before? You're gonna, we're going to get our answer today from two scriptures, two passages. The first is Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. Now, everybody knows this uh, this passage of Scripture, this is all about the fruit of the Spirit. And let me put it in context. What Paul is doing is he's talking to Christians and he's saying this is the battle that goes on in every Christian. It's a battle between the Spirit and a battle between the flesh. And they're fighting at one another. And whichever one you yield to, whichever dog you feed, that, Scooter, that's your saying, isn't it? Whichever one you submit to, 
whichever one you allow to lead you is going to have victory in your life. Let's look at uh, verses um, uh, 16, I think, through 17. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. So Paul says this is inside of every Christian. This battle's going on. Be led by the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. That's what he's saying. Allow the Spirit to lead you. All right. Now, he goes on to say, because this is what happens if you yield to the flesh. If you get into the flesh, these are the type of things that you're going to see in your life. You're going to th- see sexual immorality. You're going to see enmity. You're going to see strife. You're going to see jealousy. You're going to see anger. You're going to see dissensions. You're going to see envy. Everybody with me? That's what he's saying. If you yield to the flesh, give in to the desires of the flesh, those are the kind of things you're going to see in your life, even if you're a Christian. But he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, if you'll yield to the Spirit, if you'll submit to the Spirit, you're going to see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So again, there's a battle going on. Which one are you going to yield to? Yield to the Spirit, you'll see these fruits. Yield to the flesh, and you'll see, you'll see these fruits. Now, I'm going to go now to verse 6-1. We already read this one time. Read it again. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual or mature should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the very next verse after the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's my question. In context, who are the spiritual people in that verse? It's the people that are walking in the Spirit. It's the people that are producing the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, we know that. Look at the verse. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Well, let me go back. What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Gentleness. You see, to Paul, a spiritual person is someone who's producing the fruits of the Spirit. A mature person is someone who's producing the fruits of the Spirit. That's a spiritual, mature uh, person. You see, according to Paul... Mature or spiritual people who are people that are people who are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. It's people who are being led by the Spirit and taught by the Spirit because they're submitting to the Spirit. Now hang with me right here. You see, mature spiritual Christians are those who are submitting themselves to the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit to produce the characteristics of God in them. In the end, it's all about the heart. It's all about submission. Now, I said earlier that what I learned this week was surprising. This is what surprised me. What I learned was that the prerequisite for receiving the wisdom of God, the prerequisite for submitting, uh, um, uh, receiving the wisdom of God or for grasping or understanding the wisdom of God is not a certain level of intelligence. It doesn't matter how smart you are. The, the prerequisite for receiving or understanding the wisdom of God has nothing to do with your education. The prerequisite or for, for receiving or grasping or understanding has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian or how acqu- accountable you are to other people. The prerequisite for receiving the wisdom of God is holiness. It's holiness. It's not about the brain, it's about 
It's about the heart. You see, it's not the people... In fact, it's this way. See, in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to get a lot of wisdom from God, and then I'm going to become holy. In other words, I'm going to learn, 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 learn about God, and that's going to make me holy. It's not it at all. When you look at the Bible, what happens is I become holy, and as I become holier, producing those fruits, I'm now able to receive the wisdom of God. Okay? I want to show you another passage so you get this. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.1. We read this earlier. Paul says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, as mature people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. So Paul comes into the church, right? And what does he want to give them? He wants to give them solid food, does he not? He wants to give them the secret and hidden wisdom of God. He wants to give them the high things of God, but he said, I couldn't do it because you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you are still of the flesh. Well, how do you know they're of the flesh, Paul? Because there's jealousy among you. There's strife among you. Remember, go back to Galatians 5. He says, if you yield to the flesh, what do you produce? Jealousy, strife, dissensions, envy, anger. Paul says, I come to you and I want to give you the wisdom of God, but I can't because you're still walking in the flesh. You're submitting to the flesh. You're not submitting to the Spirit. Okay? Um, See, God has chosen to reveal His wisdom, but He will only do it among mature spiritual Christians. And it's not, I want everybody to see, this is not some religious elite. It's not a certain class of people at River of Life that, man, they're just on a higher plane. They're smarter than us. They study more than us. They've been a Christian longer than us. No, you see, it's not the people who are the smartest or the most educated or have been here the longest. Spiritual mature Christians are those actually on the other end of the spectrum. It's just people who have humbled themselves before God. It's people that have come to God and said, like a little child, and said, I don't know anything, teach me. I want to become like you. I want to have your characteristics. I want to, I want to be set apart for you. You submit your life to Him to, and let Him produce the fruits of the Spirit in you. Those type of people are becoming more loving. They're becoming more patient. They're becoming more gentle, more good, more kind, more faithful. You see, that is a spiritual mature Christian And that is a person whose heart is ready to receive the wisdom of God. It's like planting, right? If I just took corn and I just went out in the field and just threw it on the ground, what's going to happen? You might get one or two stalks, but what do we do? You prepare the ground. You you turn it over. You fertilize. You get it ready. Then it's ready to receive the corn. It's the exact same thing with the wisdom of God. You've got to have a heart that's ready to receive that wisdom. And a heart that's ready to receive the wisdom is not a heart that's walking in the flesh, that's jealous and envy, and it's a heart that's producing the fruits of the Spirit of God. So, you want to be wise this morning? So, let's go back to my question. What about those people, and they never seem to grow? They never seem to be any wiser in the things of God? Is it because they're less intelligent? Is it because they hadn't been around long? Is it because they're not accountable? No. It's because inside of them, they're not submitting themselves to the Spirit of God. They're not producing the spirits of, God, uh, the, of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. The, the ground of their heart is never ready to receive the wisdom of God, and so they literally cut themselves, cut themselves off from it. 
Does that surprise you? I know it surprised me that it became about holiness more than it was about how smart you are, how much you study the Bible, or how long you've been around, or how accountable you are. Okay? Um, James 3, 13 through 17, one more passage just to drive this home. Listen to this. Paul says, I mean, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? The question he's saying is, Who has real godly wisdom? Who has godly wisdom and who has worldly wisdom? Watch what he says. Who is really wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have envy and self-seeking in your heart, don't boast and lie against the truth like you have real wisdom. That type of wisdom that you have, he says, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Everybody see that? You say you have wisdom, but inside of your heart is those works of the flesh, envy and self-seeking. He said the wisdom you have, that's not godly wisdom. The only wisdom you can get, if that's the kind of heart you have, is a demonic wisdom, an earthly wisdom, a sensual wisdom. But watch what he says. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. You see, the wisdom of God has to reside in a heart that looks like God. It makes sense, right? We don't, would we take, there's a, there's a proverb that says you don't cast pearls before swine. In other words, don't throw a pearl into a pigsty because the pigs will just look at it, they got no idea, it's a waste. See, God will not give his wisdom to a heart that's still full of the flesh. It makes, it, because that person will look at it and have no idea what to do with it. It's a complete waste. He's looking for a heart that's pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and kind and loving. And that's the ground, that's the heart that he says, now I can pour my wisdom, uh, I can pour my wisdom into that heart. Okay, a couple more questions and I'll, I'll move on pretty quickly through this. How is this wisdom imparted to us from God? How is this wisdom imparted to us from God? How is it, by the way, that a human being, even a spiritual mature human being, can actually receive secret and hidden wisdom from God? In fact, it seems kind of um, uh, uh, um, overreaching of us to even say that a human being can know uh, the mind of God. That's the third question that Paul's going to answer. Look at verses 9 through 11 again. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. The way that we receive this secret and hidden wisdom of God is, of course, through revelation. God, uh, Paul actually explains it in verses 11 through 12 how this process works. He says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except God. Listen, let me tell you what Paul's saying. If I decided to get to know one of you, I could go with you, let's say I'd go home with you, I could stay around your house, I could watch how you interact with your family, I could go to work with you, I could sit by you, I could watch how you interact with your co-workers, I could, could, and in doing so... I could learn about you, could I not? But I'll never know you 
unless your spirit inside of you chooses to reveal your thoughts and your feelings to me. Unless you really sit down and say, Derek, let me tell you who I really am. Let me tell you what I really feel. On the outside, you may look like this confident, just mature person, and on the inside, you've got self-esteem issues that, that you're, every day is a, you're just covering it up. And from the outside, I think I'd come back and say, well, they look, they look spiritual, they look mature, they look self-confidence, but they didn't really tell me about their thoughts. I, I don't really, is everybody with me? See, I can only get to know you if you choose to tell me who you are. See, it's the same thing with God. You see, a person's thoughts and concerns are only known to the thought to the spirit of that person. And if that person reveals it to me, that's the only time I can really get to know them. God's the same way. You see, the wisdom of God would never be discovered by man on his own, um, for it's secret and it's hidden, Paul says. So the only way for us to know the wisdom of God is if the Spirit of God chooses to reveal it um, to us. That's exactly what he has chosen to do. Look at verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given. In other words, God's spirit has chosen to reside in us and reveal to us his thoughts, his feelings, and his concerns, so that we not just know about God, but that we actually know who God is. We actually get to know him because he's chosen to do that. Finally, one final thing. What is the wisdom of God? You know, what is the wisdom of God? That is a lot harder uh, question to answer. In fact, if I'm honest, it'll probably take us an eternity, and even then, we'll never learn everything there is to know about the wisdom of God. I I was reading somewhere online this week, and they were talking about um, some new species that's been discovered of something. And every time I see that, I just... Everybody else thinks about, you know, other people think, well, evolution is this great thing. Every time I see something like that, I think, God is unbelievable. His intellect to, to create something is beyond. I used to use this example and show you how limited we are and how great God is. If I ask you to invent a new color, do you know you could not do it? Human beings, you can't invent a color. Any color would just be a combination of colors you already know. In other words, you put uh, yellow and green together to make whatever yellow and green make. But God can invent things out of nothing. He can think things that... His intellect is incredible. His wisdom to do the things that He's done and to do the things that He continues to do and to do the things that He will do, it's, it's beyond knowing. I mean, we literally will spend an eternity learning about Him and who He is and the things that He's done, and after 10,000 years, we won't even scratch the surface. So, so for me to stand here today and try to explain what is the wisdom of God, that's a losing proposition. But I do want to tell you uh, something, that one thing that we do learn from today's lesson. Look at verses 7 through 9. Paul says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Look at that, uh, I highlighted in the purple. One thing we know about God's wisdom is that God decreed that his wisdom would be used for our glory. Our glory. See, that's amazing to me. Whatever else the wisdom of God is, one thing the Bible tells us 
It is the infinite, eternal mind of God devising for His people a glorious future. He's actually taking His wisdom and saying, I'm going to use all this wisdom I've got, which is incredible, and I'm going to devise a future for Derek that will blow him away. I'm going, to, I'm going to devise a future for Cindy or Bob or Susan or Mary that's, that they can't even imagine what's coming. He chose to do that, and he decreed that uh, before the ages began. Uh, that's why Paul says in Romans, uh, uh, in Romans 8.18, he said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present age, they're not even worth talking about. It's not even worth comparing. It's not even being in the same atmosphere as what God has prepared for those that love Him, what's coming. So that's an amazing... I wanted to point that out this morning. I may not be able to explain the wisdom of God, but I can tell you that He's using His intellect and He's using His wisdom for me and you, for our glory, to prepare something that's coming for us that literally we can't even, we can't even imagine uh, could happen. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You for 1 Corinthians. We thank You for Your wisdom that You have chosen to give uh, to the spiritual and to the mature. And God, I don't think there's a person in here that would not say that we don't want the wisdom of God. Of course we do. Who would not want to know the mind of God? Who would not want to have the wisdom of God in their life? But God, please help us understand this morning that the prerequisite for that is not Bible study, which is good. The prerequisite for that is not church attendance, which is a good thing. The prerequisite is not to pray a lot, which is also a good thing. The prerequisite is to submit our lives to the Spirit of God so that the Spirit can produce a heart, a field inside of us that's ready for the wisdom of God to come. Oh, Holy Spirit, please this morning drive that home to each one of us that we walk out of here today and we recommit ourselves not to gain the wisdom of God, but we, re re we recommit ourselves to be led by the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit so that we'll have a heart that's ready to receive. We love you and we thank you. We, we pray for the service this morning. We ask you to bless all that happens here. We ask to, 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 uh, if you'll bless the communion table as we take it today, that we'll once again in remembrance remember all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all.